Mark chapter 14. Let me remind you what I reminded you of last Sunday. I started the message and that's that there are three acts in the gospel of Mark. It can be broken up into three parts. Each has an individual theme. The reason why I started last Sunday's message with that is the same reason I'm starting this Sunday's message with that, because we're going to point back to one of those acts, Act chapter two specifically, and it's going to lead into the theme of our text today. So if you're going to study and really get the message, follow me for just a few moments at the onset of the sermon. Act chapter one in, in the gospel of Mark is, is chapters one through chapter eight, and it, it covers the discernment of Christ's person. It asks this question, who is Jesus? Act chapter 2 is, is chapter 8, verse 22, through the end of chapter 10, and it covers the acceptance of Christ's mission. What did Jesus come to do? Act chapter 3, which we're in right now, covers the faithfulness to Christ's mission and asks this question, what are Jesus' followers supposed to do? So, so who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And what are Jesus' followers supposed to do? I want to take a look back at the start of Act chapter 2 in chapter 8 of Mark where Jesus is trying to get Peter and the other disciples to understand and accept his mission of suffering. It'll be on the screen if you want to look in your Bible. You can go back to Mark chapter 8 verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. Look what happened next. Peter took him. He took Jesus and began to rebuke him. He got on to Jesus. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind thee, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. See, Peter believed that Jesus came to earth to build this earthly empire and that he and his buddies were recruited by Jesus to be his right hand men, to sit at a a place of power, to sit at a place of prestige as they worked together to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. Jesus instead teaches Peter that he didn't come to establish an earthly empire. He came to establish the very kingdom of God. And that was only going to be done by way of dying on the cross and suffering. So when Peter heard that, he got on to Jesus. He pushed back at Jesus, even suggesting that the future king of this earth is going to suffer because kings don't suffer. Well, that's when Jesus knew Peter wasn't understanding his role nor the mission in the kingdom of God. And so in verse 34, he takes the time to tell Peter, here's what it looks like to follow me. This is so important to the message. He says, and when he called called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever shall come after me, watch here, let him deny himself. The first imperative, first requirement, if you really want to be a Christ follower, is that you must be willing to deny yourself. What does that mean? Well, it means more than just denying something. We can all deny something. We do that every January 1st when we deny sugar and pop for 48 hours. Denying yourself means a total abandonment of self anything. So it means you abandon self-promotion, which we've gotten really good at on Facebook. It means that, that, that we deny self-ambition. Which our culture says we, we got we to gotta have big dreams for ourselves and we've got to be the center of our world. 
We got to deny self-sufficiency, self-interest, self-admiration. Here's a big one in our society, self-pity, self-righteousness, self-indulgence, self-centeredness, self-preservation, which you'll hear about a lot this morning. I'm saying self-anything. Followers of Christ are willing to say, I deny myself, and instead, I choose Jesus. Even if that involves difficulty on my part, even if that makes me unpopular, unpopular, even if that makes me say no to what I want in the moment, even if that means reordering my priorities. Listen, true followers of Christ deny themselves so that they can give themselves fully to their Lord and his mission. Now, fast forward from chapter eight, six chapters to chapter 14. A few more days, weeks of spending time with Jesus. And Peter is thinking he's ready for this whole self-denial thing. Look at Mark 14, verse 29. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice, three times. But watch what Peter did. He spake the more vehemently, passionately. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Peter, super confident that he would not forsake or deny or turn his back on Jesus Christ. But what Peter didn't understand is that he really didn't have the character to be faithful to that promise. He thought he did, but he didn't. He had no idea the intensity of the trial that awaited him in just a few hours. He didn't foresee how hard it was going to be to remain a Christ follower in a hostile world where danger was imminent. And it's going to be revealed in our text that Peter still hasn't learned what Jesus tried to teach him all the way back in chapter 8. He hasn't learned to deny himself. And because he hasn't learned to deny himself, he's going to deny Christ. Something he said he'd never do. By the way, the only reason you would ever deny Christ is because you first failed to deny yourself. In our text today, Mark does something very interesting. If you like to study the Bible, you'll, you'll like this. He puts forth a contrast between uh, Jesus and Peter. Here's what he does. In verse 53, where our text starts, he puts the camera on Jesus. And then one verse later, in verse 53, uh, verse uh, 54, he swings the camera over to Peter. And then in verses 55 through verses 65, he puts the camera back on Jesus. And then in verses 66 through 72, he puts the camera back on Peter. He's like a cameraman, Mark is, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's going back and forth. Why? So that we could tell the difference between Jesus and Peter. Here's what Mark shows us about both men. They're both facing a trial. He also shows us that both are questioned by their accusers. And he also shows us that both give an answer. It's an, and it's in their answer that we find the crux of the message because that's where we see the difference in their character. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. Jesus' answer under trial reveals his self-denial. Something that was totally necessary to accomplish his mission. Peter's answer, however, under trial doesn't reveal self-denial. It reveals self-preservation. The exact opposite of the character of Jesus and really the antithesis of what it takes to be a faithful follower of Jesus in the midst of a hostile world. Now, remember who Mark's originally writing to. We open this up. 
We get to read it today, but his original audience would have been those converts in Rome. They were being persecuted for their faith. He was writing to Christians who were experiencing the same exact thing that Jesus experienced in Mark 14 and that Peter experienced in Mark 14. So it makes sense why, why Mark would, 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 would write or frame the part of the story this way. He wants these Christians and he wants us today to learn from Jesus how to stay faithful when our faith is put to the test. Do you want to stay faithful in your trial? You want to stay faithful when the world is squeezing you in? Certainly no one would say, yeah, I want to deny Christ. No, you wouldn't say that. So how do we stay faithful? I'm going to give you the answer up front, then we're going to study it. You ready? Here's the essence. Stay faithful in trial through self-denial. That would be the title of the message, the theme of the message, the thesis of the message. Stay faithful in trial through self-denial. Let's study the contrast between Jesus and Peter. Mark starts with contrasting the accusers. Look at Jesus' accusers in verse 55. And the chief priest and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. Who were Jesus' accusers? All the council. This wasn't a small group of people. Literally everyone that was somebody and considered powerful in that region was ganging up on Jesus. Look down at verse 66 at Peter's accuser. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. Peter isn't accused by a council full of intimidating and influential and powerful leaders. He's accused by a maid. Initially, one servant girl that ran into him while he was watching Jesus' trial from a distance. That's a big difference in their accusers. You got all the influential, powerful council and you've got a maid, a servant girl. Now notice how Mark contrasts the accusations they face. Look at Jesus' accusations in verse 56. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. And there arose certain and bear false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Watch here. These witnesses are claiming that Jesus threatened to destroy the temple. Now Mark gives us indication that they're false witnesses, meaning what they're saying is not right. What about their accusation then is false? Well, they're pointing back to something they heard Jesus say in the earlier parts of his ministry. John's gospel records it. Look at the screen. Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus is, of course, here, if you study in its context, is referring to his own body. Which he claimed would be raised from the dead after three days. And by the way, it was. That's why we meet on Sundays and praise and worship the resurrected Savior. But they twisted his words to mean the literal temple, the place that they held with high regard because it's where they performed their religious rituals. And how dare Jesus even threaten to destroy that place? Those were false accusations. They twisted Jesus' words to get him in trouble. But look at what the maid girl accused Peter of in verse 67. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, and thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Are you getting the contrast? Unlike the false witnesses that made false accusations against Jesus, Peter actually faced a true witness who made a true accusation against him. This servant girl wasn't out to get Peter like the council was out to get Jesus. She stumbled onto him in the courtyard, probably while she was running an errand. 
She just happened to recognize him as being one of Christ's followers and asked him about it. Huge difference in accusations. But, but, but really the biggest contrast is in the answers that Jesus gave and the answer that Peter gave. Oh, they're so different. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying, answers thou nothing? He was silent for a while. What is it which these witness against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said to them, Art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now Jesus talks, I am. And ye shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Get this, after Jesus remains silent for a while, he answers Pilate's question about him being the son of God. He just simply was honest. He was truthful. He said, I am. But he added the fact that he would share authority with God and will one day come back to rule with God. So, so Jesus' answer was honest. It was courageous. His answer would put him on the cross, and he knew that. Because the, the council viewed any claim to be equal with God, having authority as God, they viewed that as blasphemy, and the sentence that day for blasphemy could have been as bad as crucifixion. Church, you need to get this. Jesus is aware that neither the Jewish establishment nor the Roman authorities would let him go unpunished for, for both claiming to be divine as well as messianic. Yet there was no faltering in him. No hesitation in his answer. No holding back complete truth. Jesus doesn't defend himself at all. He doesn't seek clarification. He doesn't argue with the false witnesses. Upon being asked a question, he gives an honest answer without regard for the consequences. Without an eye for his own safety. Or self-preservation. Do you see it? Jesus stayed faithful in trial through self-denial. Contrast that with Peter's answer in verse 68. The little maid girl asked him, are you, are you with Jesus? He denied, saying, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them for thou art a Galilean and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse. This is worse than lying and to swear saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crowed twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And, and when he thought thereon, he wept. Oh, get this contrast. Jesus faced false accusations, but he told the truth. Peter faced true accusations, but he told a lie. He said he didn't know Christ. Even worse, he began to curse Christ. He did whatever he had to do to make it appear as though he didn't belong to Jesus. Why? Why? Because unlike Jesus, he was mostly concerned about his own safety. He was mostly concerned about his own skin. He was mostly concerned about his own preservation. Likely he had just witnessed what they did to Jesus when he denied himself and was honest with who he was. Verse 53 through verse 55 of our text says they stripped him naked. They beat him. They spat upon him and they mocked him. Peter didn't want any of that. He's never wanted any of that. He rebuked Jesus for suggesting that he should want some of that. And so instead of denying himself, he denied Christ. 
He was unfaithful in his trial because he was more concerned with self-preservation than self-denial. Are you seeing the picture Mark's putting before us? The contrast between the one who denies himself and the one who instead denies his master. Oh, it's so sharp in the text. We got Peter who recoils in fear before a lone servant girl. He denies and denies again. He lies. And had he lied, just, just simply lied one time, he probably would have looked a little bit better. But he takes a step further when he begins to curse and swear. His only interest is to preserve himself. On the other hand, you had Jesus. The faithful, self-denying one who boldly uh, gives a truthful testimony before this large and formal gathering of officials in the face of false accusations at the hands of his captors. And despite being fully aware of where his confession would take him, Jesus doesn't hesitate. He doesn't falter. There is absolutely no hint of interest in self-preservation at all. I believe that Mark goes to length in contrasting Jesus with Peter with such clarity in order to show us today what it takes to stay faithful in our trial. When the pressures of the world that we live in are squeezing us. When the stress of our life is closing in. When the difficulties of being a Bible believer in our culture are overwhelming us. How do we stay faithful? Same way Jesus did. Stay faithful in trial through self-denial. If you're a high school student today, good to see some of you at church today. If you're a college student today, good to see some of you at church today. You will be placed on a regular basis. You'll be placed on trial. Just like Jesus and Peter were. That is, you will be placed into situations where you have to choose between self-denial and self-preservation. Self-denial stands up for Christ. Because you care about him and his mission more than you care about your reputation or your image. Self-preservation stands up for yourself. Because you care more about your popularity than your relationship with Christ. Like when a worldview you're being taught isn't biblical. Maybe you're being taught that humans weren't created by a divine God but have evolved over time. False. Are you being taught that marriage wasn't ordained by God to be between one man and one woman? Or when you're being taught that the Bible isn't a supernatural, divinely inspired book without error, but it's just instead of another textbook written by a bunch of old guys. When you're being influenced in that which is false and expected to endorse it, listen, you don't have to recoil in fear. You don't have to take a step back to the world's influence. You can be faithful as God's follower and speak up kindly but boldly about the truth. We need more young people who know how to mix grace and truth in their defense of the gospel. But that'll take denying yourself because most students don't want to be the oddball. They don't want to be unpopular. They're more concerned about their reputation than their mission as a Christ follower. So instead of denying themselves, many students seek to save themselves and their social standing by, by saying nothing. 
by letting that which is false be crammed into the minds of their impressionable peers without a single rebuttal. A very common area in all of our lives, not just students, in which we're tempted to seek self-preservation instead of self-denial is the area of our interpersonal relationships. Our relationships inside the home, inside the church, at work, or any other place where relationships exist. We all have relationships that occasionally get fractured. Chances are everyone in here has at least one relationship right now in your life that is strained. And when our relationships are, are put under trial like this, we have an opportunity to be faithful through self-denial or unfaithful through self-preservation. And our tendency will be to preserve and protect ourselves when a relationship isn't going well. That's our tendency. It shows up in who we go and talk to about it in efforts to gather our own army of troops who know our side of the story first and have our back. Self-preservation. It shows up in how we instantly try and manage our image on social media just in case somebody else hears the other person's side of the story before we get to them. Self-preservation. It shows up sometimes in blatant lies that we tell to save our own skin, just like Peter did. It shows up in how we isolate ourselves and give that person the silent treatment. It shows up in subtle ways that we try to bully that person or intimidate that person. All of these are ways in which we try to preserve and protect ourselves. But it's the opposite of Christ-like character. Like Jesus, we're called upon to deny ourselves when we encounter relational difficulties. We're called upon to forgive even if we don't feel like they deserve it. We're called upon to reconcile even if they anoint us. That's a hard one. We're called upon to forbear their weaknesses and personality quirks even if they drive us crazy. We're called upon to stay and work things out in order to go the distance in reconciliation. We're called upon to pray for our enemies and do good to them which do evil towards us. If I wrote the Bible, none of those things would be in it because I like self-preservation. But God said it and it's hard to hear. But if you want to stay faithful when your relationships are placed under trial, you're going to have to practice self-denial. Boy, another area of application today would be in the air of our plans and our decisions in life. Hear me, I believe every decision you make in life, big and small, ought to be made in alignment with the word of God. Ought to be guided by the counsel of godly people in your life. There's relationship decisions, there's financial decisions, there's career-related decisions, there's parenting decisions, there's decisions on where you're going to go to college, decisions on, on, on what church you're going to be a member of, decisions as to what you're going to do in retirement. So many decisions that we make in life on a regular basis, I believe they all ought to line up with God's Word. Amen. But if we're to line up every decision and plan that we make according to God's Word, guess that what, what's that? what that's going to take sometimes self-denial because if God is telling us to spend our money this way but our desires are telling us to spend our money this way we're going to have to say yes to him and no to ourselves and that hurts if God's telling us to stay at a job but we want to leave it's going to take self-denial to follow his leadership if God is, is giving your child parents a, a direction for their life, but you have your own desires for their life and it's different when, than what they feel uh, like God is leading them to do, guess what, parents? You're going to have to deny yourself and what you've always dreamed of for your kid if you want to be faithful in God's purpose for their life. I go on, but you get the point. Every decision you make in life is going to be a decision where you either seek self-denial or self-preservation. 
So then if we all face these trials of our faith, and I just mentioned three examples, there's many more. And if the only way to, to be faithful through them is to deny ourselves, how do we get ready for that? How do we prepare for that? Because let's be honest this morning, we're more like Peter than we think we are. We all like to think that when our faith is on trial, we'll never deny Christ. We'll never be unfaithful to him. But if Peter was unfaithful, we can be as well. That's the dude that took like four steps on water before he sank. So how do we prevent that? Watch here. It has everything to do with our character before the trial begins. Don't miss that. Self-denial isn't something we can just choose naturally when we're placed under pressure. Naturally, what we choose is self-preservation. Self-denial in trial takes character built over time. That's why Jesus tried to start, started trying to teach the disciples this character trait of self-denial back in chapter 8 because he wanted them to learn it before chapter 14 ever came. Unfortunately, they didn't. But we can have the scope of the Bible at large. We can know that trials are coming our way. We don't know what they're going to look like. We don't know how intense they're going to be. We don't know what it's going to be like for our, our, our faith to be squeezed this coming week. We can't see that, but we can know how we can thrive in it. Self-denial. And self-denial is built over time before the trial comes. A, a trial does not, re, does not build or develop self-denial. It reveals whether or not you already have it. Think about it like this. Practicing self-denial is to the Christian what a training regimen is to, to the athlete. See, the reason a, a runner can run across the finish line of a marathon race is, is because they endured the training regimen months before the race ever started. Some of our brothers on the front row, I went and watched them play basketball last night. And it's amazing that, that, that for 40 minutes straight, they can be like in this posture, moving 85 miles an hour across the court. They never, literally never stop. It's crazy. They're jumping up and down constantly, shuffling side to side constantly. I try to do a defensive shuffle drill with, with my son's fifth grade team. I'm done for three days. I'm pulling a hammy, even after I stretch for 32 minutes. Those guys can do that for 40 minutes on a Saturday night because they've endured a lot of defensive slide drills before the clock ever even started on the first quarter. They've endured a lot of coaches screaming down their neck as they weren't in the right posture. They, they've endured a lot of ball games where the coach sat their rear end on a bench and said, until you start playing defense, you're not playing. They've endured the regimen so that they can endure the game. And self-denial is to us what practice time is for them. Yeah. Here's what it means. We've got to find ways to build self-denial while we're on our feet. So that when we get put on our back, we already have it. How does that happen? Through spiritual disciplines. Think about this. I'm going I'm to mention a few. Think about fasting. That's every Baptist's favorite discipline. Everybody volunteers to fast. No, we hate fasting. Why? Because 
more so than any other spiritual discipline, it causes us to just deny ourselves. If you fast from even one meal tomorrow, it's going to hurt. Well, if you're like me, at least. If you fast from two meals, it'll really hurt. You fast 24 hours from eating food because you want to seek God and you want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, not after bread. You will ache all day long. If you, if you say, I'm going to fast from social media for one week. Some of you are starting to shake. I just even suggest that. <laughs> It'll hurt you. If some of you say, I'm going to fast from TV all weekend. That'll hurt some of you. Some of you, some of you say, God, God, for five days, I'm going to fast from video games. Some of you will crumble. Not being able to pick up that video game control. Why? You're denying yourself. It's no wonder it's called a spiritual discipline. How about prayer? I rarely meet Christians that don't struggle with prayer. I rarely meet Christians that have a thriving prayer life. Right. It's hard. It's hard. It's easy. It's easy to pray for our food. It's easy to pray maybe with, with our family every once in a while. It's easy to pray at church, but to get alone with God every single day and pray through a prayer list and to have that discipline, that is so very hard. And then to, to pray for other people and not ourselves. You really have to deny yourself to do that. In our connection group at 945 this morning, we ended our connection group by going all the way around the, the table. There had to have been 35 or 40 in there with us this morning. And every single person gave one prayer request and we wrote them down. And I had an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and I got the whole thing filled. And I've got to go pray for all of them and their burdens this week. And you know what that's going to produce in me? Self-denial. Because I got a lot of burdens of my own I need to talk to God about. You know what else there is? There's giving. Giving hurts sometimes, doesn't it? Come on, am I the only one? Giving hurts. If you have the practice of giving 10% the tithe to, to, to God's work every week, every time you give your tithe to the Lord, you are practicing self-denial. We give demissions above our tithe at Fellowship Baptist Church. Uh, this year, we're we on schedule to give over $300,000 to worldwide missions just from our congregation. That's a lot of self-denial. And I'm telling you right now, when Starbucks gets in business, that's going to be eating up some of y'all's missions money, I guarantee you. How about serving? You ever served in a nursery? There are people that really are wired to do that. Uh, Colleen Knows Cable absolutely loves it. Alexa loves it. Our nursery coordinator. There's people I can look around right now. They, they love it. It's, it's like their sweet spot ministry. But, but for most normal people, we don't like watching kids that aren't our own. And I don't want to wipe their butt either. But every time someone goes in the nursery and they don't feel like it, guess what kind of character they're building? Self-denial. Guess what those bus workers and bus drivers that get up early and go and pick up kids when it's going to be cold outside this winter. Guess what they're building in their heart? Self-denial. Guess what those security 
members are, are, are doing when they're missing their services or can't sit by their spouse in a service because they're walking around our parking lot, walking around our building, keeping our kiddos safe while we worship. They are denying themselves. What, 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 what all the music team did when they, they came before 8 o'clock this morning, almost two hours before we, anybody ever showed up to the building, they were here practicing. They are practicing self-denial. Doesn't take a whole lot of self-denial to come into an auditorium and sit and go home. Takes a lot of self-denial to get plugged in. See, what's my point? If you want to do well when you're put on the spot, you need to do well when you're off the spot. By making self-denial a regular part of your daily life, it'll get easier to deny yourself during the most difficult parts of your life. And so use the, the, the spiritual disciplines on a regular basis to build that self-denial in your heart so that when a trial comes and it squeezes you, guess what's going to come out? What's already on the inside? A character of self-denial. Every follower of Christ will find themselves under trial. Close relationship in your life will be placed under trial. A Bible-based conviction will be placed under trial. Your sexual purity will be placed under trial. The storms of your life will place your faith in a good God under trial. The key to staying faithful is to start training in self-denial right now. So that when the trial comes, you're ready. There's a man in a village in India he was converted to Christianity as a result of the evangelism of an American Baptist missionary. His wife and children were converted as well. It's a really neat story. Almost directly following their conversion, the village chief demanded that this man renounce Jesus. The man had a choice, self-denial or self-preservation. He chose self-denial as, as, as he started singing back to the chief this song. I have decided... To follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Enraged, the, the chief had his two children killed right in front of him. Threatened to kill his wife. Again, he could have chosen self-preservation, but he chose self-denial as he sang another verse to the village chief. Though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back. No turning back. His wife was killed right in front of him. He's given one last chance to recant his faith before being killed himself. And he's saying this verse. The world behind me. The cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. And he was martyred. As the story goes, the testimony of his faithfulness Humbled the chief so much that he too received Christ. That man was faithful in trial through self-denial and his faithfulness helped somebody find and follow Jesus. Aren't you thankful we live in a country that allows us to worship freely without fear of losing our life? We may never face a trial as intense as his, as Peter's, as Jesus. But we will face the trials of our faith. So my prayer today is that each of us will learn from Jesus what true self-denial looks like. So that when our time of testing comes, we'll be able to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back.
Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.